This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The NWSL Challenge Cup quarterfinals kicked off on Friday. In the early match, Portland Thorns FC got a 68th minute goal from Morgan Weaver and some spectacular goalkeeping from Britt Eckerstrom and pulled the upset of the North Carolina Courage 1-0. Weaver's goal would be the only one in the NWSL on this Friday as the Dash and Royals played to a scoreless draw. In a penalty shootout, Jane Campbell was up to her old tricks with two saves. Amy Rodriguez also hit the crossbar, and the Dash prevailed to move on to Wednesday's semifinal against the Thorns. Now stay tuned for another edition of the Equalizer podcast. Match day nine at the NWSL Challenge Cup. The knockout round begins. Teams are starting to be sent home. And who would have thought that the first team on their way home, North Carolina Cup, for three years running, have won the NWSL Shield for three of the last four years and two in a row. If you go back to the Western New York Flash, they've won the NWSL Championship. They were undefeated 4-0-0 in the preliminary phase, including clinching the number one seed before taking the field for their fourth game. But the Portland Thorns pulled off one of the more miraculous upsets in the short history of the NWSL, a one nothing victory over a much-dominant North Carolina Courage team. Morgan scored the goal for the Thorns. Britt Eckerstrom was fabulous in goal. And uh, Emily Dulhanty is with me, and she and I will try to be just as fabulous or close to it as we can. <laughs> uh, but, Emily, we've as we record this, it's been a few hours since the final whistle. What's going through your head right now? Yeah, um, pretty much the first thing I said to you when I answered the call was, wow, still um, – even a few hours later, it's still, um, yeah, haven't quite come down yet. It's It was a good one. <laughs> I think there's a lot to pull apart from this match. <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I had said earlier before the match started that I didn't buy the Clash of the Titans narrative because I didn't think the Thorns had played very well, honestly. I didn't think they were up to the test in terms of their attack. Um, I'm still not sure that they that they are, but they got the one that they needed on a day that the Courage just couldn't find the back of the net. So, I mean, I you know, I think rather than being a clash of the Titans, I think this goes right up with the old Flash beating the Thorns a few years ago in the playoffs as the biggest upset that this mm-hmm. league has seen. I know it's only been eight years, but, I mean, I think if you play this match 100 times, the Courage win at least 90 times. Yeah, I agree, especially considering, you know, um, I know we've said a lot that with the Thorns, um, their personality they have coming in, the injuries and that sort of thing. Um, I think that even kind of underscores just how big of a win this was. Now, the let's focus on the Thorns for a moment. Yeah. Because, you know, you want to give credit to the team that wins. I mean, Britt Eckerstrom 
was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we were all praising Bella Bixby, who has a little yeah. injury. Agerstrom comes in. I mean, that's a good, you don't get goalkeeping much better than that. Huge. Like, if you watch the highlight package back, it, she features in half of it, if not more. Um, yeah, just huge save after huge save. And, you know, what a moment. Like, you're the third keeper, you think, on the team, and you're called in. And, um, you know, I don't know if many could rise to the task like she did today. Um, yeah, she was she was a brick wall. <laughs> and, and I mean, Dabinia alone, yeah, is going to be having nightmares because she had the free kick from like 19 oh. yards right outside the box that was going mm-hmm. in. Yeah, she had the diving header off the corner kick. Oh, yeah. And I believe when they were down one nothing, she got in. Yep. And Eckerstrom came yeah. out and, and double stole. save on that one. Yeah. You know, and that's just Dabinia. Yeah, that was, I said, I did watch the highlights before and half of, yeah, most of the the great chances that North Carolina had, a bunch of them were Dabinia. Um, she just, oh, yeah, especially that breakaway um, for Eckerstrom to make that double save, the second save after, I think, um, yeah, I'm not sure many could have done that just with the awareness as well that she instead of kind of rushing back to her net to continue and um, get that second save forward. Yeah. Yeah. That I was think a big one. when Dabinia got in behind, I actually said out loud to myself watching mm-hmm. the game, tie game right here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, Strum was, yeah. was having none of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the goal, <clears throat> I thought that Morgan Weaver, you know, I think players like her were in a little bit difficult because she's a rookie coming into the league. It's really difficult as a rookie to score right. goals. You're only getting, you know, however many games you get. Now they're going on six. I'm not sure if she's played in all of them, but um, I thought she's gotten better as the tournament has gone on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't like the most spectacular finish, but you got to get yourself in the right spot. Right. And uh, it was pretty much literally out of nowhere that the Thorns had that attack and Bolton yeah. Barton scored. I think a little bit of magic by Rocky Rodriguez there. Yep. She beat O'Sullivan through the legs for the, the cross and Weaver just, you know, um, was able to just move off Merrick's shoulder and, um, just that it's funny. Yeah. Those split second things, even if, you know, the game is tipping in one direction, just those split second mistakes there, um, losing your mark. That was just, that was the difference. Yeah. Yeah, and I think also Addison Merrick got beat at some mm-hmm. point on that build-up. Yeah. And, you know, we've been saying all along, if there's a courage weakness, that's it. Where, you know, Matthias right. is hurt, O'Reilly retired, and we all know mm-hmm. the backstory at this point. And, you know, Merrick had a good tournament. I think, you know, I never, honestly never heard of her until, right. you know, that she suited up in the first game. But I think she's been very good. I think she'll be a factor next year. But at the end of the day, they did go down with the two things that get them. They couldn't finish. Right. Mm-hmm. And the and the one spot on the field got them for the one goal. Right. You and know, yeah. and I don't know if you noticed this, I I kept thinking just the Thorns just committed so much to getting numbers back in defense that they had I didn't see the um the stats or anything, but they had so many blocked shots as well. Like I just kept noticing they just had numbers back <clears throat> excuse me, and yeah, they just kept getting um there in front of the shots and and blocking them and i don't know if that says maybe more also about north carolina in um 
maybe that they were choosing the wrong shots and kind of shooting into traffic a lot. But, um, yeah, definitely a big defensive performance overall, a team defensive performance by the Thorns. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job in the sense, the Thorns, in the sense that they were not sitting back, like they yeah. were not bunkering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but- I think they had moments of the match where you could say it was a little bit bunkering. Maybe they're, they were just um, sitting deep, but I agree. They uh, Then they had moments where they... Uh, where they were uh, attacking. And um, I mean, of course, when you're defending a one nothing lead, you're going to have moments where you are um, giving up the ball instead of holding it when you should. But um, right. yeah, I they agree. Got- it, was, it wasn't a bunker for 80 minutes or whatever situation. <laughs> but, but they did get back when they needed to get back, which I right. was impressive. You know, it was almost, mm-hmm. you know, they had a game a bunch of years ago when Nadia and Nadim was there i think it was against the rain but i'm not sure mm-hmm. and apparently uh mark parsons said to nadi and nadim it was one of those games where they were just decimated by call-ups right. and, and parsons had said to nadim you know i apologize in advance but i'm going to put you <laughs> up top all by yourself oh, God. and everybody else is just going to sit and she said right. ah, don't worry about it i'll get my chance and i'll score and she did score and they won that game right. one to nothing this wasn't quite that extreme no. but i did no. you know i feel like one of mark parsons strengths is that he didn't buy into the Clash of the Titans thing. He was mm. thinking, look, we need to we're not as good as them. We need to figure out how to be better than them today. <clears throat> right. I don't even think they were better today, but they no. got their one goal. So that's, yeah, that's what they, matters. They did what they needed, yeah. Um now I you know I did check the stats by the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Seven block shots, Thorns four block wow. shots. So Okay. Trust your eyes though. Yes. I, you know, because I do think the Thorns played pretty well defensively. But at the same time, if you take Eckerstrom's performance out of this game, and I thought in the first 30 minutes or so, the Courage had some off touches. Um, Williams got in right early in the game and sent a yeah. gorgeous cross, and all it needed was a tap-in, and um, mm-hmm. I think it was Hamilton was a step or two late on the <clears> play. You take that out, and you know right. this is a 4 nothing game, and we're not praising anybody defensively right. for the Thorns, to be honest. Right. Yep. And, yeah, I mean, again, if you watch that highlight package and you see Eckerstrom saves, I think, um, yeah, what you just said could be absolutely correct. Sure. Now, who do you start in the next game if Eckerstrom and Bixby are both right. available? Yeah, that's the question. Do you go with the momentum or do you go with the keeper that had, you know, what, four solid games before this? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, if Bixby's better, um, if she's if she's healthy, yeah, I don't know. That's a big decision for sure. Um, and I haven't seen either one of them play a ton. I, right. to be honest, I didn't see this performance mm-hmm. in Eckerstrom and the times I've seen her in the past. Bixby's right. been solid. Um, I mean, Bixby was like the find of the tournament until. Oh yeah, until yeah, maybe this game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. uh, it's real interesting and. It, a good problem to have, and uh, you know we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But yeah. expansion draft is coming, and they can't right. protect all the players. So mm-hmm. I think Adriana French will be available for Louisville, whether they yeah. want her or not. Yeah. We'll see. Definitely and I mean it. Whether, yeah. Whether, yeah. When I mean when I say um, do they want her, if there are other U.S. players available, that you know they can right. only <laughs> only take a few. They would. I, I think any team would want Adriana French. Um, right. So can the Thorns win this whole thing now? Like seven teams left while we're recording mm-hmm. this. Uh, I mean, who's the favorite? 
Right. I mean, like, can anybody say that the Thorns kind of offensive difficulties were, um, you know, broken today? Not really, right? I don't think, I think so. Uh, I think we just same things that we've been saying before this game are um, still going to be said moving down the line. So I don't. I don't know. I know that probably the other six teams still to play their quarterfinals are happy looking at this game that North Carolina's sure. that they don't have to play them. Um, but yeah, you know, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. Hopefully, um, we'll see if Haran can, uh, get healthy for the next game. That was a shame as well. Um, you know, you kind of knew it when she, went down before the half and I think I remember seeing on the injury report it was like her left hip and then you can kind of you could kind of see the the trainer um, go out and talk to her and kind of check that like hip area and you kind of I kind of thought okay that's probably it for her then she comes back for five minutes in the second half and then um, has to leave but yeah I think that'll be a big piece too um, whether Haran is healthy um, for the semi yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> and that's another point, too, that I didn't bring up yet, or we mm-hmm. didn't bring up yet, is who, you know, if you're watching this game, you watch the first half, Courage were obviously the dominant team. You figure they'll get one or two in the second half. Right. And five minutes into the second half, Haran goes out. Yeah. <laughs> like, who stands up at yeah. that point and says, all right, mm-hmm. the Thorns have just where they want them now? Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know what, uh, yeah, their bench. I mean, they believe, but... You know, people watching must have as well thought, yeah, this does not help the Thorns' chances in this one. Yeah. And I actually thought, and I don't know if this was because she had a little injury or not, mm-hmm. but I thought Haran played well, mm-hmm. but not, I don't think she did the things that they, that I thought that she needed to be doing. I, you know, she was on the ball a lot more, yeah. and I thought she needed to be in the box. And yeah, maybe she, she couldn't get there, I don't know. Yeah, she was very, um, yeah, she was very on the defensive side, I guess, um, for that uh, parts of that whole first half. I mean, um, yeah, she was almost in parts entirely kind of absent from, um, not absent from the attack, you know, because she was back building up, but, um, you know, what I'm trying to say, she was more, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah more, um, she wasn't making the more, it, for sure. Yeah, except that one, um, she had one sequence like 10 minutes in where she kind of dribbled and took two players on. I think it was Mewis and Merrick. Um, and then it was that kind of play that you're like, we need more of her. Like she needs to be up here, right? Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. Um, and then a little note about, I know you never um, dissuade me from talking about Christine Sinclair. <sighs> yeah. I did think she made a little bit of a mistake in the first half. I think I, I know she what you're a, talking about. She had a yeah. chance to take a shot, and she mm-hmm. laid it off for, yep. I don't know if it was Haran or somebody else. Maybe yeah. might have been Weaver. And I thought that was, and she, you know, they pointed mm-hmm. out on the broadcast that she hasn't scored in 10 straight league games going back huh. to last year, which was her long. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, in between yep. that, she became the all-time world's leading goal scorer, so she's not star right. for goals. But that was right. a rare moment where I thought maybe she should have shot. I don't know if she was lacking confidence. Yeah. Then in the 89th minute, she's taking on Courage <laughs> players and taking yeah. the ball into the corner. Like half the Courage team, <laughs> I thought, was completely, you know, wasted from playing all these minutes. And here's Christine Sinclair, who's what, 36, <laughs> Six, 37, yeah. whatever she is. And mm-hmm. she's just, you know, taking on players, dribbling into the corner. Like, I'll just mm-hmm. continue to 
do everything right and you know play my yeah. game and i'm i'm telling you she's aging uh, backwards yeah but i do agree like i noted that as well um in the first half there i think it was right before like the hydration break and yeah she had the ball on the edge of the 18 and and she didn't shoot she passed and then um it kind of nothing really became of that chance and that's something i've noticed recently too i think with her playing for Canada as well, and that she's not taking those shots kind of on the edge of the 18 that she might, we might've noticed her taking previously. Um, so I don't know what, I don't know what that is, but I'd like to see her take more of those shots when she has the chance. Um, right. And when maybe, I watch, yeah, becoming a little, maybe too um, unselfish. <laughs> yeah. And when I watched it, I was thinking this is a team that needs the slightest they need this little things to go right and i was thinking okay. well if you're gonna get run off the pitch and sinclair is gonna pass on that shot maybe it's not your day yeah obviously that right. wasn't the case yeah <laughs> um, and just in case i messed up that stat this was the 11th straight league game going back to last season and including the playoff game where sinclair doesn't have a goal the most previous right. to this was the first eight games of the 2014 season and as you know she's got 49 goals in the league sam kerr who's got a lot and lynn williams with 50 and that doesn't include this tournament all right let's talk about the um oh, another thing by the way cat reynolds who took that hard hit to the head and had to come oh, off we'll yes. see how she's doing yeah so scary yeah. anytime the yeah anytime the camera you know pans away from the injury you yes. always kind of hold your breath <laughs> Exactly. And Lynn Williams didn't look so good either, but she obviously, no. you know, got the worst of it. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about the courage. You know, sure. I think over the years they have had games where they have wasted opportunities mm-hmm. and they've either gotten beat and it's been just a blip or they figured out how to win it or it's been a draw. This is the first time that they really played a game like this that mattered and mm-hmm. lost because of the wasted opportunities. Right. Yeah, and it's a shame, too, because someone like Williams, just her ability to create chances and to cut in and beat players one-on-one to get the shots is so, like, world-class that you just almost cry out for it to to go in the yeah. net to have something to show for it, you know? Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, it definitely – they had they had the chances today, you know, for sure. And in the first five or six minutes, I thought Williams had Cat Reynolds over mm-hmm. a barrel. I thought she could have done anything she wanted one-on-one against Cat yeah. Reynolds. And then for whatever reason, she started to play a little bit more centrally after that, I thought. I'm not sure if they didn't get the ball out there or what, but mm-hmm. that, did you notice that too? Um, I'm not sure. I know that she was also beating Mengus a bit as well. Um, yeah, and then maybe in the second half, she played more centrally as well. Um but yeah, she was having a field day in, in the first little while with those defenders for sure. Um, even I think Westfall when she came on as well, um, Williams might have cut in and cut in and around her at one point too. <laughs> yeah, and then you know I think the big question coming out of this tournament is did Paul Riley lose this game Monday night when he ran out the mm. same starting eleven against Sky Blue that he wound up running out. For this quarterfinal right. and you know I thought Jaylene Daniels for the first three games of this tournament was extraordinary mm. and then I didn't think she played well against Sky Blue and I thought she was great in the first half against the Thorns and then almost non-existent in the right. second half. Yeah definitely I think she had 
few lapses maybe early in the tournament, but then there, you know, um, was pretty solid. But I agree, you know, she was one of those ones um, who, yeah, not disappeared today, but a little bit, you know, fell off, I guess. Yep. And even like Mace, who was in every game and I thought had a positive impact, came in and was not really a factor. Mm-hmm that I can recall in this one. But I do wonder yeah. if maybe, you know, maybe they like did courage bravado get the best of them that they wanted to be undefeated in mm. that game, you know. Right. Yeah, could be. I mean, they wanted that 4 and 0. Um I guess just so that they could say they were 4 and 0, but yeah, like you said, um, you know, it was almost like the preliminary round was I don't want to say like a little bit of a glorified preseason, right? Because, Absolutely. Um, you know, like not to discount the players effort or anything or the, the games, like they were very high quality, maybe save for some of those fourth games, understandably. But um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, first seed versus eighth seed here. And you can't say that, uh, you know, Portland, you know, there was a huge gap. I mean, there was a gap. I think um, just in obviously in how they'd played, but you know, they didn't run them off the field in the first game or anything. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I think, um, yeah, it's hard to say, you know, if, if those players had rested, if things would be different, but um, I think that's yeah, definitely something that Paul Riley will maybe think back on. Later what on. I, what, I mean, what he said in the post game was that the entire game died and it was 95 degrees. So, like, right about after the second hydration break, everybody on the field got tired, which is there's right. probably some validity to that. But mm-hmm. I was waiting for the courage after the hydration break to come out flying at least right. for five or six minutes because mm-hmm. so much changes at the hydration break. It's obviously yeah. a coach's timeout at this point mm-hmm. as well as a hydration break. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And it was like that seven minute stretch where the ball was just being bounced around right. in midfield. And I give the mm-hmm. Thorns credit because they didn't bunker even when they had the one nothing lead. I think they thought there was too much time on the clock. Yeah, I noted that, too. You know, after the hydration break, like we've seen the courage come out and, um, you know, show their pace and everything. But, yeah, it was definitely there was a stretch there where they were um, trailing. Where, yeah, like you said, you thought they would put their foot down on the pedal, but um, it just seemed like um, they couldn't get anything going for a little bit until, you know, Dabinia had those chances um, closer to the end of the game. But, um, I mean, they did have a good, what, 20, 20, you know, what, 25 minutes maybe to, to get an equalizer and... Um, oh, yeah, they, yeah, it was, yeah. I think, it, yeah, it was wasn't a late, It wasn't a late goal, yeah. 68th minute. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is one that anyone who follows the NWSL will not soon, if ever, forget. The Portland mm-hmm. Thorns, who were on the verge of a winless 2020, albeit <laughs> in an abbreviated uh, tournament-style season, they pull off a shocker, one nothing over the North Carolina Courage. So the Courage, who have dominated, won all the trophies over the last two seasons, And most of the trophies over the last four seasons, they won't win one in 2020. We will see who does. Emily, thanks a whole bunch for uh, your contributions to the podcast during the Mm -hmm. tournament. And uh, we look forward to working with you down the road. Cool. Thanks, Dan. All right. John Haller and I will be back in just a little bit to break down Dash and Royals. They were the game of the tournament before the uh, Thorns upset of the Courage. Mm -hmm. Did they they one-up the Thorns' Courage? 
Don and I will talk about it right after this. Hey, everybody. Jeff Kasouf here, founder of The Equalizer. Thank you for listening to The Equalizer podcast. Wanted to let you know that we also have another podcast that I host called Kicking Back. Kicking Back is a one-on-one style interview type podcast where we talk to players and coaches from the women's game and get to know them a little bit better and talk about some of the moments that define their careers. So after you're done listening to this podcast, which please finish this one first, head over, check out Kicking Back, make sure you don't miss it. We've got interviews with some of the top personalities in the game right now and many names that you know from previous years in women's soccer and many more interviews to come so check us out on any platform the one you're listening to right now also has kicking back and we'll get you back to the equalizer podcast now welcome back segment two of the equalizer podcast on match day nine first of two quarterfinal days in utah In the nightcap, the Dash and Royals play to a 0-0 stalemate, and the Dash behind Jane Campbell, who else on penalties prevail, and move on to face the Portland Thorns. Before we get going, quick reminder to please check us out on the web at EqualizerSoccer.com, or for premium content, EqualizerSoccer.com slash subscribe. And also, if you like what you hear, please rate and review the Equalizer podcast today. Thanks to Emily for being along for segment one. I'll bring in John to discuss Dash and Royals. And although we've usually kept the segments very specific to the early game and the late game, John, it feels appropriate with what happened earlier in the day to let you have a couple of minutes to offer any thoughts you might have. Thorns one, courage zero. I think it was your basic coach's nightmare where you control the entire game and end up losing on you know, basically one play going the other way, because I don't think anybody would argue that the Thorns controlled that game. They didn't even create that many good chances, but one they created, they put in the back of the net, and the Courage were both incredibly wasteful, and Britt Eckerstrom was incredibly good for Portland in the net, and those two things combined kept that score 0-0 for a very, very long time. And Portland, you know, obviously able to get that goal. And then uh, one of the interesting things, which I know you, you talked about a little bit on Twitter earlier today, was that the Courage looked gassed late in that game, which I just remember there was that point. It was maybe like the 80th minute and the ball, there was a loose ball or maybe it was a Portland player standing on the ball in the center of midfield and nobody pressured her. And I just remember thinking how un-North Carolina that was, that nobody seemed to be pressuring the ball. And I saw a lot of players either standing or walking, and I thought, oh, my God, the Courage are gassed. And I don't think a lot of people would necessarily criticize that based on the conditions. Obviously, it's very hot. Obviously, this is a compressed schedule. There's altitude. They're in the high desert. They've been confined to the hotel for whatever sort of you know mental stress that is added. But uh, some people have remarked that Paul Riley playing his, his first choice center midfield combinations for most of the tournament might have come back to haunt him there in that last 10, 15 minutes of this game. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think that's the story of this match is did Paul Riley 
burn out his team, especially the Monday night game against Sky Blue, knowing he had the shortest turnaround into the quarterfinal, knowing he had everything wrapped up that he could have wrapped up if they even cared about the number one seed, which they probably shouldn't have. And I think that's the question that haunts the courage going forward. And as I said to Emily before, I thought after that second half hydration break, which was not too long after the thorns went up, I expected the courage to come out and at least for five or six minutes put the pressure on. And they really didn't do that. That's not to say they didn't have chances after that, but they didn't have have that all out assault that I was expecting. Yeah, and you know, other than Williams and Dabinia, who I thought both did very well overall, I didn't see a ton out of Crystal Dunn during this game. I thought Mewis had some nice moments, but obviously didn't, you know, provide that that key moment. And Hamilton seemed off her game, and then obviously got subbed off for Jess McDonald, who also didn't seem to contribute a ton, and you just had a number of their key players not uh, performing at the level that I think we're all kind of used to seeing them perform at. And even Williams, who I thought did an excellent job creating chances and absolutely gave the Thorns uh, back line fits. I mean, she beat Reynolds a couple of times. She beat Mengus. She beat Westfall, but obviously didn't have that, that final moment either. And Dabinia, who created chance after chance after chance, Eckerstrom was just there over and over and over, whether it was the breakaway or the save on the free kick, both of which happened after the thorns went up and both of which would have brought the uh, the courage back even, just couldn't find the breakthrough. I actually disagree about McDonald. I think McDonald played well in the game. I think she needed one other player running up top of her to be a little bit more energetic and and something might have happened. It felt like she was going 1v2, 1v3 a little bit when she was getting on the ball. That's, that's how I viewed it anyway. And I also thought Denise O'Sullivan was spectacular in this game. I thought O'Sullivan's work rate was high. And I will say uh, about McDonald specifically, there was the header she had. I don't remember if D- Crystal Dunn had this weird back flick where she almost yeah, like, that's right. I don't know if she like, half biked it over her shoulder and McDonald had a header, which I really thought was going in because McDonald um, kept the ball going in the same direction. And I thought it was going to slip past Eckerstrom and it didn't. And then um, there was a, a really nice dummy turn in the 91st minute that McDonald had to, but then she wasted the possession. Yeah. So uh, I think we could talk about this one for quite a long time and I'm sure we'll be, having future podcasts to look look back on it. And honestly, we'll see how far the Thorns go. I think if the Thorns win the whole tournament, it kind of will boost the historical impact of the win. If they go on and lose to the Dash on Wednesday, that's a whole different scenario. But uh, how about Dash and Royals? Uh, my initial impression coming out of this one was that the teams played a completely out-of-hand 3-3 draw to open the <laughs> tournament, and they maybe both – overreacted and maybe also both teams came into the tournament with only X amount of good soccer in them. Maybe they had burned through it because I didn't see a whole lot to be inspired by. I I would count maybe one good chance for each team in the match. Well, what we had uh, Prince hit in the post on the one, which I think Smith got enough of a hand on her that might've gone in. Right. And then obviously we had a couple of big fouls. We had the one that was early on with Vasali coming in and Smith taking her down. And then we had the one late where 
Corsi had misplayed it and Daly started to get in and got dragged down. So there were probably a couple of chances that got taken away simply through fouls. Um, right. And the, well, the other and then we one, had, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say the other one I had was when uh, Weber dribbled in and lay and gave it to Amy Rodriguez who did that great like post up one touch and then Campbell made the save on Weber shot. Mm-hmm. That's my one chance on the other end. Labonta put a rod in too around the 60th minute and Campbell came way, way off. Right. The line. Oh yeah. Way like, yeah, like 35 yards off the yes. line. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder if a rod was almost surprised to see Campbell there. Cause if she just takes one clever touch, she's got an open goal in front of her. I would have to watch it's, it again. To, it is to tough when you're sometimes when you're chasing the ball, if you didn't maybe, if, especially if you were looking for the ball over your shoulder that moment before to know for sure whether the keeper's coming. Um, I don't know whether she could have gotten to it or not, but you know, I think we too, we should make a distinction between, because I made a comment. I said, this is the best zero zero game of the tournament. And, and it seemed like half the people agreed and the other half thought I was crazy, but I think there's a distinction between what's an entertaining game and what's a good tactical matchup or a good, you know, a good soccer, uh, as it were. So, And which one I, was this? I think it was incredibly entertaining. Um, lots of talking points. Obviously, yeah, I don't think this was a master class in tactics. And, you know, what we kind of came to expect early in the tournament when you were mentioning teams only having so much good soccer I don't think we really saw that Vero A-Rod connection as strong as we saw earlier in the tournament. We certainly didn't see Shea Groom getting into the match like we had seen at earlier moments in the tournament. So I think that's fair to say that it definitely was not a pretty match, but I, I boy, I had fun watching it. All right. I guess we should talk about the calls. Uh, because you mentioned the early one where Brie Vasali, and by the way, I, Brie Vasali, I did not mention her in my post about players that impressed me during the preliminary stage, maybe because she didn't play enough minutes, but I've liked what I've seen from Brie Vasali. In fact, that's another chance that I forgot about. She kind of like out of nowhere, the ball came to her feet and she just kind of like sent it toward goal and Abby Smith reacted late mm-hmm. and then at the last minute scooted over and knocked it away. So that's another chance that, that I'd forgotten about. Um, my understanding of this play is that Abby Smith is the last defender and that if she's right. the last defender and she commits a foul, that's a red card. Now, the rule was changed a year or two ago so that if it is a penalty kick and the and the keeper or the defender, whoever it is, makes a legitimate play on the ball, you can give that player a yellow card so it's not double jeopardy, red card, and PK. But there was no PK here. It was not even in dispute that there was not another player back to defend. So in my view of this, and I I try to contact my referee friends about this um, late hour, wasn't able to get a response just yet on this. So maybe if I get one, I'll post it on Twitter in the next day or two. I think that's got to be a red card or no foul, or it's in the box and it's a PK. And then there's the other factor, which that it looked like the offside flag had gone up. <laughs> right. It's it's like which which of the three things you want to talk about exactly um because again if it, it seemed like this this play probably should have been waved off before it ever got to that point and that's a pet peeve of mine by the way anyway where the center official uh will wait until they see that movement towards the ball uh, before they're putting up because i think there's a lot of forward goalkeeper collisions that are avoidable Agreed because completely. they they wait too long there was a season 
think it was 2018 where there were like three of these and a couple of them had, you know, semi-serious injuries come out of them. Abby Smith, Alex Morgan, right? Yes. So this is a pet peeve of mine to begin with, whether that play should have even gone that far. It does look like based on the screenshots that I saw that the contact did come in the box. So I do think that's, that's fair to offer a penalty when it comes to the denial of the goal scoring opportunity, because Smith is, is the last one back. But if you look at Vasali's last touch, right, it, got away a, from her. it was a heavy touch and it was not going towards the goal. I have no confidence that she would have caught up to that ball before it ran out of bounds or ran so wide that she would not have been able to turn it back on frame. But then isn't so, that not a foul or an indirect free kick maybe? It would still be a foul in the box, and the only fouls in the box uh, that would not be a penalty, as far as I'm aware, uh, would be obstruction or dangerous play, and I don't think that would have counted for either. I think it was a clear trip, so I do think you have to award the penalty, but I don't think you, you give the red card there. So then you're okay with the call as is, except for the fact that you thought it was inside the box. If the call, if the contact was outside the box, then you're okay with yellow card. Yes. Free kick. Yeah. Okay. Because of the touch. And and I'm I'm curious to see what your your officiating friends say. And in fact, I almost sent you a message during the game asking you to get in touch with them because uh, I'm really curious about how that last touch impacts or doesn't impact the the call. I did notice the touch got away. It just seems to me if you call a foul, then it should be then it should be denying the goal-scoring opportunity. But, you know, I don't like to get too deep in the weeds on this because oftentimes we do this and then there's an element of the play that I never realized, like the one in the first game with these teams, from what everybody told me, was completely clear-cut, absolutely no goal when Daly interfered with Smith. Now, on the offside thing, speaking of Alex Morgan, remember the game, and I think it was against Houston where the flag went up and the center ref negated the offside and then Morgan scored? I don't. Um, I have seen those happen in the men in men's leagues that I've watched in the past, but I I'm don't not remember saying, that. I'm not saying that's what happened, but there is certainly a lot going on with that. So again, we'll try to get some sort of explanation, maybe get that out on Twitter, put up a post or something like that. Now the Corsi play, I have to admit that I turned away and didn't watch the replay, and it's not in the highlight package that I'm aware of. Um, but I, you know, I guess it's the same argument was Corsi, the last defender back. I don't know if you got a better, she, she wasn't. Um, and I think a yellow card was right. I think it, you know, if you're Houston, that stinks. And I can completely understand why Daly was furious about it because it obviously was an intentional foul. It's what most of us call a professional foul. Corsi misplayed the ball. She knew she was beat. So she dragged her down. Yeah, I mean, it, you're right. You know, if you're daily, you're annoyed by it. But I guess the flip side is you get one of the center backs playing on a yellow. I know it was late in the game, but that's what the yellow cards are for, because then that really changes the way you have to play the rest of the game. Sometimes it even impacts coaches' substitutions. Yeah, and the only thing about that, like, again, when I watched it live, it definitely looked like, and I'm not sure who was off that back shoulder. It was probably Kate Delfava. Um, would have been behind her. There are some times where the player who commits the foul actually is the last player back, and then smart defenders 
sprint another five yards behind them to, right. you know, kind of make it look like there were other players right there. Right. So I'm not a hundred percent positive, but it absolutely in the run of play looked like Delfava uh, was was behind Corsi when that foul was committed. Now another element that I took out of this game was that O'Hara got the start, and we've been saying. They're playing this 3-5-2, and it was probably meant for Kelly O'Hara to be one of the wing backs. And this is not a specific criticism of O'Hara because she's barely played soccer for like eight months at this point. But I didn't think she impacted the game at all in the first half when she was in. Yeah, I don't think I have a, a single note here. Um, obviously, there was the foul early in the game. Mewis had, had followed her from behind on the counter. Now that was off of a corner kick and it resulted in a yellow card for Mewis. So she, you know, she had an impact there, but again, that was, that was in transition off of a set piece. Uh, anything else that stands out? You seem, I think you're more entertained by the game in general than me. So what, what else stands out, if anything? Well, I, I wanted to actually piggyback off your Vasali comment because, um, I thought that she was involved in four of Houston's best opportunities. Obviously, there was the one where Smith took her down. Uh, Vasali was the one who fed Prince the ball when Prince hit the post. Um, and then there was the one, I think this is what you were referring to when you said that she got on the end of one that Smith barely touched, but it was like that half volley off of a corner. Um, yeah, it sounds right. From like outside the 18 yeah, to the it, right post. Yeah, and it wasn't even like she was at the top of the 18. Like she was five to 10 yards wide of the post and still hit that off of a half volley, still put it on frame with enough pace to force Smith to dive for it. I mean, she almost snuck that one in. And this is a player who Houston got on a free transfer. And we did a piece on Equalizer. Um, at the end of the regular season last year, and it was just looking at the five teams that didn't make the playoffs and what they're going to have to do to to turn things around. And one of the things I put in that piece was that the tricky part for Houston was that they didn't have a lot of draft picks to work with, and it didn't seem like they could afford to trade any of their key pieces and that they were going to have to get really creative with how they were going to rebuild their roster. And we have to give them credit. They did that. You know, I still don't think that this is a knock down the door team, but boy, do they look 180 degrees different from last year. And, you know, Houston people have been saying that year after year after year, but this year they legitimately look different and picking up a player like Vasali on a free, you know, signing her as a free agent, giving up absolutely nothing to bring her in and she hasn't had a monster tournament. She's played a couple of games and had really nice impacts. But that's what they needed to do, and that's what they did. I kind of wish, the more I watched this tournament, that, and I get why it didn't happen, but that they could have figured out a way to get a couple of extra days between the semis and the final. Because I can't help but think, can the Dash possibly regroup and start to play the way they did in the first couple of games? Of this tournament, and it just seems like I mean, first of all, it seems like from what we're hearing that things are getting a little agitated inside the bubble. Nothing out of the ordinary, <laughs> just like yeah. the natural course of events when you're stuck in a hotel and all you do is train, eat, and play games. Uh, and you know, because I, I feel like 
this is an example, like if this were the regular season now, that maybe the dash would be on a bye week and then they would come out flying in 10 days or 14 days or something like that. And we're just not going to get to see that. But this is one of the first times I've ever watched the dash play and thought to myself, you're better than this as opposed to, eh, we're going back to the same old dash. Like I was like waiting for like Mewis and Groom and Daly and then throw Vasali in there to, to kind of connect. And it didn't happen as often as I was thinking that it maybe should, but I very rarely, I can't remember too many times watching the dash and thinking you're better than this. And I thought that in this game, they're an improved team, you know? And um, like I said, they managed to put this together with, Let's be honest, they did not have a lot to work with coming out of last season in terms of, you know, creating value and trying to bring in pieces that they needed, but they did it. They brought in two center backs, and their defense looks night and day. I think maybe maybe Oyster hasn't had the best tournament, but uh, I think Katie Naughton's been big for them back there. And then you look at the impact of players like Groom and Vasali tonight, and they've managed to cobble together a pretty good team. It's interesting you mentioned the the rest factor because one of the things that I'm curious about, uh, and we mentioned this uh, last week, last time we spoke, about how Chicago was the only team that did like the big rotation. I'm not sure that's going to make much of a difference uh, for Chicago specifically because they've got their own injury woes and their own scoring woes, so they could easily you know, lose tomorrow's game and be out. But I do think that there was some, some uh, good forethought uh, and some worthwhile forethought put into the way that Dames at least approached this. And I was a little bit surprised that more teams didn't because I do think that we're seeing fatigue, whether that's as we saw in the early game with the courage just literally being tired on the field or with the bodies breaking down fatigue where you're talking more about injuries occurring uh, that more coaches didn't try to rotate their rosters a little bit more heavily or even take one game and just throw your second 11 out there. Like if you're a fan of the women's national team, you're very familiar that Jill Ellis was kind of famous in group stages, whether that was the world cup or the Olympics or qualifying to kind of use that middle game to just throw the second 11 out there. Um, and, and nobody other than Chicago did that. Now, with that in mind, as we wrap up, who, who's the favorite now? Because Washington's played the best of the team yeah. left, but no Andy Sullivan, maybe no Rose Lavelle. Yep. I mean, it's literally, there are six teams left. It's literally, I can literally see any of the six winning it. Yeah, just about. I, I think, you know, Portland is on the upswing in the fact that they've got this young roster that's got to be excited. They're going to have some momentum, and they've done it without – um, Becky Sauerbrunn without Adriana Franch, without Tobin Heath. They they won that game in the oh, last Haran. 40 minutes without Haran. Yep. I mean, Haran played mm-hmm. the first half, but she came out five minutes into the second half. They scored the goal, and they held the courage off without her. So I think you got to look at Portland uh, as one of those teams. Um, I definitely think Washington's in there, but again, Without Sullivan, I think you almost have to get Lavelle back or at least get some sort of impact from Lavelle. I don't know what's going to happen in the Rain-Chicago game. That, that could be it, – it could be a, something happens. Yeah, I mean, that could be a brutal 0-0 slog depending on 
how it goes and depend, you know, I mean, we've both, we've seen how both of those teams have played attacking wise in the group stage. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. It's, um, you, I think you probably would have picked Utah to go a little bit farther. I think, you know, this getting knocked out in the quarterfinals probably doesn't represent the, the quality that they had put together over the duration of this tournament, albeit it's only five games. But, uh, yeah, I think it is wide open for sure. Well, it's Friday and we're down to six and it's wide open. Uh, and uh, we will, and it's exciting because the courage got knocked out and that kind of jarred things out. You know, that got people going. But let's see when we get to Wednesday and next weekend. Are we going to miss the courage? Is it going to be one of these things where we said, well, hey, that was great watching the number one team in the league for the last three or four years get knocked out. But this soccer might be a lot better if they were here. So we'll see what happens over the course of the next couple of days. John, thanks again for staying up late. Um, quick turnaround because I know you'll be back on for the early segment on Saturday. Once again, Thorns with a huge upset, beat the Courage, one nothing, and then the Dash and Royals couldn't find a goal, but they went to penalties, and Jane Campbell, of course, had two saves. Amy Rodriguez hit a crossbar, and the Dash prevailed, and they will play the Thorns on Wednesday. So for Emily Dulhanty and John Halloran, my name is Dan Lawletta. Thanks for listening to the Equalizer Podcast. Some cars are comfy on the inside, but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower, but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package, but that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated, and right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone.